y'all heard me preach not too long ago, um, and it was that day that Tim was supposed to preach and couldn't be here. Tim was also supposed to preach today, but instead, he sent a picture of him on the beach in Puerto Rico this morning. So, that's all I have to say about that. No, but I'm thankful for this opportunity. I, I was telling Pastor Josh, this is actually a first for me um, since I have uh, preached and been in ministry and um, to, to get to have the opportunity to, to serve the, uh, the Lord's Supper. Um, and it's, it's something I, I was sitting this, this week trying to think back because, like, there are certain things about ministry that Bible college teaches you, um, like how to baptize somebody, like, I literally had, like, a lesson on, like, how to baptize somebody. Um, Sounds a little weird, but, yeah. It's one of those practical things that you never think you need to practice until, like, you have to do it. Um, Well, Lord's Supper was also one of them, so I was trying to to think, like, okay, like, what do I do? Like, what are, like, the mechanics of how to make this happen? Then I thought, like, that's ridiculous. Like, we're together as a church family. Like, we're just going to honor and worship the Lord through this, and, like, so it'll be good. But this is also a unique thing because we're continuing in our Mark series, um, and we're, we're picking up right off where, where, where we left off last week. Um, we talked about extravagant worship this week, and this week we're going to have the Lord's Supper, and it's what, it's the next passage, next, uh, next chapter, next verse in the book of Mark, and we're going to pick up and roll right through, and it's unique in the sense that I've never necessarily been a part of a, a church service where like that was like the Lord's Supper, like was the message, and and like it was the application to the message. I've always it's always been like there is another little sermon, a sermonette as you will, and then like there would be a little devotion on what the Lord's Supper was, and then you take the Lord's Supper. Um, so I thought this was a really cool opportunity. Next chapter, next verse in the book of Mark. We're in Mark chapter fourteen. Mark chapter fourteen, and again, if we think about last week and the significance of Mary's worship of Jesus Christ um, and, and her, her claiming and declaring what she believed in her heart was about to happen. It almost seems like Mary was like one of Jesus' only followers who like had picked up on the fact that he was saying like, hey, I'm going to die, I'm going to be leaving, like I have to go and die for the sins of the world. Like Everybody else was still confused about that, but Jesus said that Mary did this to prepare his body for what was to come. Uh, she, she knew 100% and her faith was in Christ as the Messiah who was going to die to take away the sins of the world. And then we roll right into this next passage. And I believe that it, it gives us a great example of another way that we are to extravagantly worship our Savior. And today we're going to talk about the new covenant, Mark chapter 14. Um, but first, let's set the scene of what's going on. In, in verses 10, 10 and 11, Judas, he leaves the group of disciples, and he goes and he meets with the high priests, and he commits to betraying Jesus. And they agree on a price for Jesus' head, basically, um, which is, is a sad story. It's, it, I often wonder, like, how, how could Judas have, have gone through those three years and then betray the guy that he's followed for 30 pieces of silver. And 
We'll get into that here more here in a minute, but but that happens in verses 10 and 11. But then we come to verse 12, and let's pick up in verse 12 through 20 and read together. The Bible says this. Now, on the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where do you want us to go and prepare that you may eat the Passover? And he sent out two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. Wherever he goes in, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, uh, where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared. There, make ready for us. So his disciples went out and came into the city and found it just as he had said to them. And they prepared the Passover. And in in the evening, he came with the twelve Now, as they sat and ate, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you who eats with me will betray me. And they began to be sorrowful and say to him, One by one, is it I? And another said, Is it I? And he answered and said to them, It is one of the twelve who dips with me in the dish. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him. But woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had never been born. Before we get into this, let's pray. Um, and, and as I pray, I, 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 this is something I do with the kids. So our elementary kids are in here with us today because I think it's important that they participate in the ordinances of the, of the church, uh, the same as the adults do, if they're, if they're ready. And I've uh, sent some information to the parents and stuff like that of how they can talk to them about the Lord's Supper and whatnot. But I always say this to the kids when we pray at the end. And I say, as I pray, I want you to pray in your heart um, and ask God to speak to you and show you exactly exactly what it is from his word that he wants you to hear this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for, uh, for the words that you have written down for us, that you have preserved for us through the ages, so that we can, we can see exactly what you want us to hear this morning. And God, as we look at this passage of, uh, of the Last Supper and, and how a new covenant was implemented, God, I pray that, that we would be moved and changed by your word as we have come face to face with it and that we would be made to be a little bit more like your son, Jesus, as a result. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, Scripture tells us that it was time to celebrate the Passover. And the, the Passover had been celebrated for thousands of years, going back to when the Israelites were brought out of Egypt and rescued from slavery. You know the story. They, God commanded Moses to tell the Israelites to kill a lamb, put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts, um, and to eat the lamb together there. Um, and that, that night, the death angel would come into the land of Egypt, and if it saw the blood on the doorpost, it would pass over that house and go on to the next. And every house that it came to, that the blood was not there, the firstborn of the family would be killed. And as a result of that, Pharaoh finally let the people go, and that was the God's deliverance of his people from slavery. Uh, And as they went out into the wilderness, God implemented that they remember this year after year after year after year. And eventually, when the city of Jerusalem was built and the temple was built, it was a law that they had to go to Jerusalem to celebrate this feast. So, the Passover feast had been eaten within the city limits of Jerusalem for years, and it was required that it be done so. So if you think about the importance of this, within the Passion Week and the Passion Story, Jesus was, cru- was arrested, beaten, and crucified in Jerusalem. So this time of year that he was celebrating the Passover, he had to go to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. The lamb had to be killed in the temple. 
the feast had to be eaten within the city limits of Jerusalem. So as you can imagine, people from all over Israel were traveling to Jerusalem at this time. And Jesus and his disciples, who were staying at Bethany, we found last week in the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, which is just outside of Jerusalem in Bethany. They were staying there, and Jesus tells, uh, I believe it was the book of Luke that tells us that Peter and John, he told to go and to prepare the feast. So they go, and he tells them that they're going to find a man carrying a pitcher of water, which was unique, because in that time, men didn't get the water. The women or the slaves got the water. Uh, but it was a man, who, so they would make no mistake about who it was that they were looking for. There would be a man carrying a pitcher of water. They went and they found this man, and they found it exactly as Jesus said they would. Jesus had a knack for that, right? Hey, it's going to, this is going to happen. And then it would happen exactly like Jesus said. And they, they would even argue with him. Like, Peter would be like, oh, no, like, you know, that, that, that'll never happen. Well, yeah. We're going to find out probably next week that Jesus says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times tonight. No, I'm not going to deny you. I'll die before I deny you. Well, about a couple hours later, he denies him once, twice, three times. Rooster crows. Peter's like, ah, shouldn't have said that. Um, but yeah, they found it exactly as Jesus said it would be. So they made the preparation for the Passover, and then Jesus went that night with the twelve uh, to, to observe the feast of the Passover. There's more details about what goes on in this meal in the other Gospels, but let's just focus on what Mark says. And Mark gets straight to the point. And if you remember where Mark got most of his information, it was from Peter, which is kind of Peter's characteristic. He, he, he just kind of jumps straight to the point, and he immediately says, in verse number 18, now as they sat and ate, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you who eats with me will betray me. He gets straight to the big plot twist. Jesus says, one of you who's, eat, who's eating with me right now is going to betray me. In the book of, um, I forgot what book it was, but I wrote it down on here. i got to find my spot. In the book of John, it tells us that it's the one who Jesus would dip the bread and then give to, to eat which tells us that Judas was sitting directly to the left of where Jesus was because that's how it would have been served at that time. And that was a place of honor. That was a place of dignity. That was a place of uh, like a, a special guest at the feast. And this is a man who Jesus knew was going to betray him, who had already betrayed him. A man that was going to give Jesus up to be arrested, to be beaten, and to be killed. But yet, in other Gospels, we know that Jesus washed the disciples' feet that night, teaching them an act of service. Jesus washed Judas's feet. In the other Gospels, we know that, that there is instruction on, and teaching and, and Jesus talking to his disciples about, about service and love and and, and here's a man who's sitting directly to the left in a place of honor and dignity of Christ who has already agreed for 30 pieces of silver to betray him so that he could be arrested and killed. And Jesus serves him. And Jesus loves him. You know, aren't you thankful? Think about all the times in, in your life when you've rejected that love of Christ. When you've tried to figure it out and do it on your own. And Jesus is there saying, hey, I got you. 
bring it to me, give it to me, let me have it, let me do it, let me save you. Aren't you thankful that in the face of every single time we've ever put a hand up to Jesus' face and said, no, that he loved us and served us anyways? That he still dipped the bread and served it to a guy like Judas? It's incredible. You know, some people have said, well, Judas, you know, like this had to happen. Jesus had to be betrayed. He had to be arrested somehow. And some people try to justify Judas's actions and say, well, that was just, that was just part of, of God's plan. But look again in verse number 21. The Bible says, the Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him. But woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had never been born. Can we learn a a little bit of a theological lesson right here? By the words of Jesus, we know that while God is is sovereign and omniscient or all-knowing, man has a free will whether to follow or not, to accept or reject, to obey or to disobey. And that was the free will that Judas had. It was not God's will that one of Jesus' disciples would betray him. Did Jesus know it was going to happen? Yes. Did God know it was going to happen? Yes. But it was not his will for one of his followers to reject and turn away. Because why? For it's God's will that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And Judas didn't die without Christ because he betrayed Christ. He died without Christ because he did not believe in Christ. While God is omniscient and sovereign, you and I have a choice to make as to whether or not we're going to follow this guy named Jesus. Jesus was going to die no matter what. God's plan was that he would be sent, he would die. It was not his plan for one of his followers to reject him. Then scripture goes on in in one of the other gospels to tell us that Satan immediately possessed Judas. And he left and he went to, to do the deed. He went to betray Christ. But then we come to the introduction of the new covenant. After Judas leaves, Jesus institutes one of the the two ordinances that we observe as a church. One is baptism, and the second is communion or the Lord's Supper. Let's read Mark 14, verses 22 through 26 together. The Bible says, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it in the new kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So as I said, we know this to be called communion or the Lord's Supper. Jesus was setting up a memorial for the church to practice in constant remembrance of him. In in other passages, it says, this do as oft as you drink it, as oft as you eat it, in remembrance of me. It's set up as a memorial to remember 
in worship of our Savior. So what does it consist of? Well, number one, it consists of the bread. The Bible says of the bread that Jesus blessed it and he broke it. Then he took it and he served it to his disciples and told them to eat. And he told them that this is my body. And I, it's interesting that, see, during this time of the Passover, there was a lamb that had to be killed. And it's interesting that Jesus didn't serve the lamb. Have you ever wondered why? I wondered why this week, so I, I, I read about it, and I, I looked it up, and I found out why. And he, if he would have served the lamb, then just as for thousands of years as they had killed the lamb, and the blood of the lamb was shed and offered as a sacrifice to God, and then they ate the lamb in celebration of the Passover, there was some significance to them of that lamb. That, that lamb was, was something special in their lives because year after year they would have to go to Jerusalem. The priest would slaughter the lamb and, and offer the blood of the lamb for a sacrifice. And Jesus could have taken the lamb and served it to disciples. And it would have been, I mean, to me that seems like a pretty fitting like thing. Like, hey, here's the meat of the lamb. You, you ate the lamb to remember the Passover, but now eat the lamb to remember me. But no, because then it would add some significance to the lamb. But instead, Jesus offered them bread. How do you like bread? I could, eat, I could eat bread all day long. I love bread. Um, don't matter what's on it. Like, just give me bread. I love bread. Well, if you're like me, you would have loved Jewish meals because they had bread at every meal. So let's all take a trip to Israel and get all fat and sassy and have a good time um, on, the, on our bread. Uh, but it, it, it's interesting that he, he only served just bread. It was a common food that had no significance. There was nothing special about it. R. Allen Cole says this, says, it is a picture of his taking common human flesh, breaking it, and allowing it to be broken for mankind. The common bread that there was nothing special about was a picture of the common human flesh that Jesus had. Yes, Jesus was sinless, but his flesh was common human flesh, just like yours and just like mine. It was a picture that he was offering his body to be broken and served for you, just as he was doing to show the disciples. But not only did it consist of the bread, but it consisted of the cup. Jesus he gave thanks for it. It's interesting that, did you catch that? He says that he blessed the bread and he gave thanks for the cup. He blessed the bread as a symbol of his body that was about to be broken for you and for me. But he gave thanks for the cup. Why? He says, this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many. Many here could also be translated all. It's shed for all the sins of the whole world, for everyone who would accept it. Jesus' blood would be shed for the remission of sins for the whole world. And the wine that they drank, it was simply that. There was nothing special about it. It was just simply wine. And Jesus gave thanks for it because it represented his blood that would be shed once and for all for the forgiveness of the sins of all mankind. 
So that no longer, no more would they have to take lamb after lamb after lamb and slaughter it and offer the blood as a sacrifice. No more on the Day of Atonement would they have to take, uh, t- take that animal and slaughter it and kill it and offer the blood as a sacrifice. Because once and for all, Jesus' blood would be enough. And he gave thanks for it. What an example to us. He blessed the bread and gave thanks for the cup because it signified and it, uh, it, it, it was an, 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 an uh, wow, I'm sorry, I stuttered real bad right there. Um, it was a sign of his blood that was about to be shed. Jesus came to fulfill the need for the constant blood to be shed. He did what a lamb could not do. Warren Wiersbe says this, the old covenant was ratified with the blood of animal sacrifices, but the new covenant was ratified by the blood of God's Son. The new covenant in his blood would do what the old covenant sacrifices could not do, take away sin and cleanse the heart and conscience of the believer. We are not saved from our sins by participating in a religious ceremony, but by trusting Jesus as our Savior. Friends, there is nothing special about this stuff. Without Christ, this is just a little cracker that doesn't really taste good and grape juice that I took out of the freezer this week. There's nothing special about it. There's nothing about doing this that's going to save you. There's nothing about that wafer that, that magically uh, transforms and becomes the actual flesh of Jesus. There's nothing about the, the, the juice that magically transforms and becomes the blood of Christ. It's an example for us to remember in worship of our Savior. So can I tell you this morning, if you're worshiping an act like this, or some other good deed or practice in your life, you're without Christ. You're without Christ. Because all this does, just like we were saying in worship this morning, all this does is point to Him. And yeah, we're commanded as often as we do it to do it in remembrance of Him and in worship of Him. But let us not miss Him. Let us not get Him first and foremost in our lives. So, as the practice of the church, what do we do? Many in this world believe that there is some significance in taking communion. That if I do this enough, or if I, or if I do this right before I die, then it, 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 it helps pay for my sins, whatever it might be. But there, no, that is not the truth. Jesus fulfilled that law. He shed his blood to put an end to the sacrifice, to put an end to the, the ritual, to the act, to the things that we had to do and the Jews had to do to justify themselves before Almighty God. Jesus died to put an end to it and to fulfill it. And today, if you're trusting in, in some religious act to bring you to Christ, you're without Christ this morning. If you trust, just come in here. If you trust giving, if you trust getting wet, if you trust this, you're without Christ. Because the point is to trust Christ. 
His body that was broken for you, his blood that was shed for you for the remission of sins to make atonement for your sins and for mine so that we don't have to answer for them anymore. That our heart and our conscience can be clean before him. And if we are, for, if we are going to worship him in obedience of this ordinance, then we first must accept him as a personal savior. If you're going to obey here, then you got to have him here. Because otherwise, it's just an appetizer before lunch, and it's not much of one. In Luke and 1 Corinthians, we're taught to, to practice communion or the Lord's Supper in remembrance of Jesus as a church. And here at Keystone Church, we invite anyone who has accepted Jesus as their Savior to participate with us. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at keystonerdu.church. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media and outreach ministries at Keystone, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Durham and around the world.